Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 141 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans and college football fans. Hello, everybody. We're here to to do our usual thing, our father-son duo, here to talk about college football by college football fans for college football fans. Uh, for those who usually like to listen to us for our national discussions, uh, this may not be the podcast for you as this will be fully focused on the Nebraska football team and uh, our recent hire of Matt Rule as our new head coach and what that means for the future of Nebraska, his potential assistant coaches, uh, though we will be touching on some of the other coaching hires that have been announced in the last week uh, that do affect the national sphere. There you go. All right. Yes, and and I and I am uh, o- opening a beer uh, for this particular podcast, Alex. I'm I'm choosing to open uh, uh, a Yingling traditional lager. Um, uh, again, a great lager beer uh, made by the the oldest brewery in America. Very nice. So, love it. It's a, it's a good traditional beer. You know, since you're coming to Florida to visit us for Christmas. I'll be sure to have some of these for us when uh, when we visit in in at Christmas time. Ooh, I'll look forward to that. Um, uh, for the record, we are recording this on Monday the twenty eighth. Um, so Matt Rule had his press conference earlier today. There's still rumors swirling around assistant coaches and stuff, so we don't have a lot of news on official hires and things like that. So we'll be talking with what we do know. Um, but of course, with you know usual timing, uh, the real uh, substantive rumors about Matt Rule really started to swirl like the day after we recorded our podcast last week, uh, after the Wisconsin game, um, and you were texting me, you know, that this was seeming like a real thing um, throughout that week, um, and it got announced as we predicted uh, after the Iowa game on Saturday, which was. One benefit of us playing on Friday was that on Saturday, Trev was able to make the big announcement about Matt Rule, and it got coverage on college game day before the Michigan-Ohio State game that had a ton of eyeballs watching it. Um, so it was a great timing to uh, get the news out broadly. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, uh, my uh, as an overview, uh, you know, overreaching um, commentary about this process that started with the, you know, uh, going our separate ways from Scott Frost early this season. Uh, I've got to say that I, I just want to go on record, so to speak, that I think Trev Albers has handled this perfectly. I really do. I think the way he was able to go through the process to the, his ability to articulate what he planned to do and how he planned to do it, and then proceed and actually do it and maintain the secrecy that he was able to maintain is quite remarkable, really. Um, and um, um, the only cracks, as it turned out, in his information flow uh, were so small and, and were unable to, people were unable to get corroborating information. So none of them ever lit fire, even though I think he latched on to Matt rule quite a few weeks ago. And, and it, it is now apparent uh, as he described during the press conference, he spoke first and he went through 
uh, uh, specifically the, the the process, what he wanted to do, how he did it. He even went as, into as many specifics as to say, well, I spoke with 13 different coaches. Um, so he did reach out and talk with a lot of different people. Now, now he didn't offer the job to 13 different coaches. He didn't um, uh, even talk with them about their interest in the job. He just spoke to 13 different coaches who he felt were important to learning about what was the landscape, what was important in today's day and age, what did they think were the key attributes and, um, um, you know, features that made a great coach. Then he used that information to, to, to develop some analytics so that he could prioritize his selection process. I mean, he, he used all the tools in his toolbox to, to do this. And he did it basically while hunkering down, you know, in the, in the privacy of his own home with a very small, you know, group of people in the know so that he could keep things quiet. And, and, you know, I, I think I might've even mentioned on this podcast, Alex, that, um, when, uh, you know, I'm going to say three weeks ago now, um, you know, there were rumors that he was in town and there was this stupid photo of basically, a a, a, a middle-aged, slightly overweight guy walking into a grocery store. Right. And uh, and I'm like, you know, everybody's saying that that's a sighting of Matt Rule and that caused all the buzz where there was a whole week. Right. Where everybody was like, Matt Rule, Matt Rule. Right. Then they got convinced that it wasn't happening and they moved on from him. And they said, well, that 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 ship has sailed at somebody else now. And it became a flavor of the week thing. Well, now I know that that it's true. Matt Rule has acknowledged that he, he and his wife did come to town. They snuck into town on a football Saturday. So they were here for a home game and to see the atmosphere, to experience it a little bit, uh, uh, obviously from, from a distance observing from a car or whatever. Uh, but they did, they did actually come to Lincoln and evaluate things and probably took a private tour of the facilities and things like that before they ever, uh, you know, made the decision. And I, I didn't know that. I didn't think that happened, but by golly, it did. Yeah. Well, I, I do recall distinctly uh, that when we brought up that rumor that, yeah, he had came and visited the stadium and things like that, you kind of poo-pooed it as like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Why would they, you know, take that risk for Matt Rule to come in person, you know, to uh, to Lincoln, you know. Um, right. And when then when uh, the uh, Wisconsin game happened, or I guess it was the week before the Wisconsin game, uh, that was when we thought, okay, at this point, it's clear Mickey's not going to salvage the season. Uh, this would be the time to perhaps announce uh, a new coach to really dive into the recruiting side of things right before the first uh, signing day deadline. Um, and that would make sense if you had a coach who wasn't currently coaching. You could announce that at this time. And since that didn't happen, we all kind of thought, well, that means it must be a current head coach because Matt Rule didn't get announced, right? Uh, right. But turns out we were all wrong on that speculation. <laughs> exactly. And uh, the way that uh, and how how Scott was able to uh, Scott, how uh, uh, Trev Albers was able to keep all that quiet, uh, even though he did those things. Right. Uh, and he had extensive conversations with uh, Matt Rule. And and here's the part that you and I talked a little bit off to the side here uh, about uh, all of the key administrators, uh, uh, Ronnie Green, who is the chancellor, and uh, um, Ted Carter, who is 
um, the uh, president of University of Nebraska and is also Admiral Ted Carter, who was president or commandant of the Naval Academy for about 11 or 12 years prior to coming to University of Nebraska. Um, and uh, uh, a very impressive individual. Love, love Ted Carter. And uh, uh, so uh, the real kick kicker, the real key to getting because uh, they were uh, Matt rule was absolutely prepared to not take a job this year. He, his plan was to take a year off, right? At least a year off and just recharge his batteries, you know, maybe do a little TV and stuff like that, dabble in that. And then, you know, get serious about evaluating job opportunities. And if, and for him to not take that year, because he's getting paid the same, no matter what, right. Uh, Even now, like he said, he said in his press conference today, I am not here for money because I would be getting the same amount of money today, whether I was here or I was on a beach. Because mm-hmm. the truth is, is that uh, not only are we paying, are we going to pay him, but the difference between what we're paying him um, at a little over $9 million a year uh, and the $10.5 million a year he was scheduled to make with uh, uh, the Carolina Panthers, you know, that difference is going to be made up by the Panthers. So he was going to get his $10.5 million every year uh, no matter what. Right. So he well, he really had to want this job for him to make this decision. Right. Yeah. And he, he was very open about that in the press conference, uh, though. I think yeah. your numbers are a little bit wrong there uh, because I saw that uh, his contract is for uh, seventy four million dollars for eight years, uh, but yeah. that it's a scaling contract. So I believe in this first year he's only getting paid five and a half by the university, but that it scales up over time and like by 2030 it was going to be like 12 billion or something like that oh okay well that could be uh no i I didn't get that sense bottom line is is over the over the contract it's going to average out to about 9.2 million a year uh which is just stupid money but frankly it's it's become the going rate uh if you look at recent hires uh within the big 10 conference and the sec conference that's what it takes uh, to retain a coach uh, is pretty damn close to that. And uh, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, athletic directors having to pony up big time. And interestingly, even um, uh, and I, I bet you that Luke, Luke uh, Fickle, who, who became the coach at Wisconsin, his number is around seven, um, around 7.5 million, I think. Uh, well, no, it's more than that. Seven point eight million. It's almost eight million. And had he known what Nebraska's was, his his agent's probably kicking himself. <laughs> right. That he didn't get nine. You know. Yep. So. Well, it was interesting that uh, Matt said that literally the first day after he was fired from the Panthers, he got a call about a potential football job. You know, so he's clearly been uh, getting offers from different places throughout this. Uh, the six weeks, I think he said it was. Um, yes. And th- this had been quite a long process that, you know, there were contract stipulations and things that need to be worked out with Trev right. behind the scenes and stuff like that. Um, and he was very uh, 
um, insistent on the fact that uh, his wife and his family uh, was interested in being here. And she encouraged him that she felt like this was a good place for their family and that it fit the culture that he wanted. He talked about how he grew up watching Nebraska beating Penn State, his team, you know, back in the day. So he clearly has some respect for Nebraska, even though he doesn't have any direct ties to the university. He never he played at Penn State. You know, he never coached. At, in Nebraska or anything like that. Um, but I think the overall impression he gave from the press conference was my evaluation of it was not anything amazing. You know, it's all just talk at the end of the day. Uh, but he didn't say anything wrong. He presented himself professionally. Um, so it was a solid first showing, I would say. I would absolutely agree. I, I mean, his he is a very articulate guy he was able to you can tell that he's a process oriented guy that he's a message centered guy and he, and he talked a lot about you know um everybody being on alignment and that gets back to ted carter so because ted was at the military academy and there the naval academy and he was at tulane um 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 i'm sorry not tulane temple uh right. university and so they got to know each other during that time because the, the the head football coaches athletic directors and presidents would get together for meetings within the conference and the navy joined that conference the, uh, that he was in uh during that time so that's how the two of them initially met and, and of course uh they were all they were both so impressed with each other that they hit it off and so that's where ted was very excited i think about the opportunity and so of course when 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 admiral Carter and Trev Albers walk into your home and spend some time talking about the job with you. It, it's going to have a positive influence on what you think about the University of Nebraska and how professional and how committed they are to being successful. Yep. And I believe we talked in a previous podcast about how he and Trev have some connections from the past as well. Um, and throughout the whole season, we were discussing how um, Trev had done a good job of keeping it silent, you know, and that there weren't really any leaks. Now we know that that one rumor that we heard a few weeks ago was perhaps the one big early leak. Um, but, you know, even then we weren't sure. Right. Well, and, th- and that's the point. Even though there were a couple of leaks, it never went from one to a corroborating two or three that would have then and then the floodgates would have come open. Right. And the reality is, had they said that at that time, the truth was it wasn't done because they had to go through two cycles. The, the first offer was not accepted. Uh, I don't know if it wasn't necessarily accepted by Matt uh, so much as there were issues working out all the details with Carolina. Right. With the with the Panthers and um, and them making sure that the structure of the contract represented a fair market value which is the language they use to basically say you can't pay this coach a dollar and then make us pay the, the mail, right. Carry the mail for uh, until the contract is over and then give him some massive payout at the end. Right. right? Um, um, so uh, there, there is an element of fairness and, uh, and market value that has to be met before Carolina would accept the terms. And so there was a lot of complicated back and forth in that. Uh, before they were able to arrive at it. And I, I think the one stickling point that Matt probably was hung up on was not his compensation because effectively he knew what he was going to get paid at least for the next four years, no matter what, right? He was getting it from Carolina. So the the actual amount, probably that wasn't the issue. It was more about how much money was he going to have for assistance to have as an assistant pool. 
and he got a pretty decent chunk. Some people are, are, are expressing that they wish it would have been, you know, a million dollars more or so. And frankly, if they, if he needed, you know, $500,000 more to, to, to get the final piece of his staff puzzle, I have a feeling that he could go back to, to, uh, uh, Trev and, and ask for it and probably get it right. Like in a, in a 24 hour period, he get, he could get an affirmative to go ahead and make the offer. Right. right. The, um, yes. Seven million is a lot. Right. I mean, the, the most, the most, the largest one in the big 10 is Ohio States. And they're at like 7.8 million. Right. Yeah. And I think I saw that like Scott's for his assistance pool was something like 4.7 or something like that. So this is quite, right. a, it was around, yeah, it was around five, I think. Yeah. Right. So this so, is quite a step up for uh, Nebraska and nobody can, you know, accuse Trav of being cheap, right. You know, and not swinging no. for the fences here. You know, he went after a former NFL coach, you know, successful college coach uh, who multiple programs were going after. We've heard suggestions that he, Matt rule uh, may have turned down Auburn in favor of Nebraska. Um, this is definitely going to cost the university money, especially if he doesn't work out right. You know, eight year contract for $74 million is a heavy chunk of change. Um, but the goal and the hope of course, is that it is going to be worth it and that he's going to actually be the one to finally turn the program around. Like he's done at temple, like he did at Baylor. Exactly. And, and the, and the, the bottom line is, you know, this is, this guy's a grinder. So as long as he doesn't have a health event or something like that, that prohibits him from, you know, doing his job. Uh, he's a guy that's going to work his tail off. He's, it sounds like, and it looks like, and we're going to get into this in a little bit, it looks like he's going uh, for a little bit of a youth movement with his staff. He, uh, he is prioritizing energy and, and, uh, and I think, you know, connection, right? Your ability to communicate and connect with young, the young athletes of today uh, and, uh, and guys who are going to be raring to go to dive in and work those 16-hour days and 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 just devote themselves to making this a reality. Right. Uh, looking at his history, um, he's 47 years old. Uh, like I mentioned, he played at Penn State, uh, so he hasn't really coached in the Big Ten, uh, but he did play in the Big Ten back in the day. Um, and he started off in a variety of different positions, like defensive lines coach, linebackers, uh, special teams things like that. And then eventually moved into more of a quarterbacks, offensive coordinator um, before he got his head coaching jobs. Uh, so I think, you know, his, what he, what he was known for when he got hired at, you know, Temple or at the New York Giants as an assistant offensive line coach uh, was more on the offensive side of the ball. So I think that's probably more where he leans, uh, but he has history coaching defense as well. So I think he's well, got and a he well played linebacker. So I, I would disagree with you, Alex. Actually, I think if you revisit that, you're going to see that uh, uh, he he spent a lot of time coaching defense, too. Uh, and, and he's a linebacker. That's what he played. Okay. Yeah, but but I think you're, the the general point is correct. He has uh, time spent as a coach on both sides of the ball, and uh, um, has been quite impressive, frankly. You know, in terms of all the different things that he's done, uh, and then got brought back to to Temple after being an assistant there, uh, then went to the NFL, and then got asked to come back to be the head coach. Right. Yes, and. Uh... 
at Temple uh, back in 2013. Uh, he started off with a two and ten record, improved that to a six and six record, then ten and four the following year, ten and three the next year. Uh, right. And it followed a similar trend at Baylor, which he took over right after there were massive uh, sexual scandals there and they were under probation and things of that nature. Uh, so he started off rough one and 11 and proved that to seven and six and proved that to 11 and three. And that's where he uh, was then hired to go coach for the Panthers in the NFL. Um, so my message to Nebraska fans would be that we need to have patience as always, right? You know, I don't think he's going to miraculously turn things around in a year. Uh, but his record or his record would show that by year three, when he's got, you know, his guys in place, he's been able to get recruiting going the way he wants and implement his systems and everything. Uh, that's the year that hopefully uh, we'll have our real turnaround moment. Right. Well, and, and he has said that even one of the things he learned in his in his NFL stint there at the Carolina Panthers is, you know what? The bottom line is you, you got to win and you got to win now. OK, so he, he, he recognizes that the reason he didn't get more time at Carolina because he didn't win enough. And so I, I, I think that he recognizes that in this new age of uh, transfer portal and NIL opportunities and knowing that Nebraska has a fairly a good uh, uh, structure on those things, that he has the opportunity to shore up this team uh, once he completes his assessment of it uh, and um, figure out uh, what the needs are and go out and fill those needs, certainly through recruiting. But given that you're really coming in late in the game from the recruiting for this 2023 year, uh, but also looking at what's going on with the portal, because I have a feeling the portal is going to be explosively big this year. Um, and because um, you still have people with COVID years available. And um um, I, I just have a feeling he, he is going to recognize and try to take advantage of the opportunity to enhance the team more rapidly by getting some transfers in here and, um, and then hopefully do his, the best he can at retaining the guys that are important to retain. Uh, and if he can get that accomplished, that, that he, he's not going to be happy with a one and 11 season next year for example i think you know he wants to go bowling right now he didn't say that that's the that's what we're going to do he says we're just going to work every day and we're just going to get better every day and this is it's a it's a process and and, and we're just going to work but I, I think he also recognizes that the fan base and he, even he himself wants this to happen faster right Right. Well, as you say, we are in a different era. You know, he even mentioned that, yeah, since I, you know, I stopped coaching in the college in 2019 and just in those few years, you know, things have changed so much with the transfer portals and NIL and all those new rules. Right. So he has to adjust to that environment. Um, but like you say, those open up opportunities uh, like we had with Casey Thompson, you know, and some other people transferring in this year uh, to get some real difference makers on the team uh, and hopefully uh turn things around faster. Also, you know, we're not dealing with a massive scandal like Baylor was, and we have way more resources than a temple does, you know, so you would hope that uh, we'd be able to, you know, get some better results there. Uh, though he will also be coming in right around the time that the big 10 is transitioning to having USC and UCLA in 
the Big Ten and the shakeup of the divisions, you know, however that will be. Uh, so we may be playing uh, tougher schedules than we have been in recent years. Absolutely. And that's why next year is so critically important, right? Because, frankly, he needs to show some progress from where we've been next year. Because if you look at our schedule, um, I could easily see a 1-11. and 11. <laughs> There's no doubt. Uh, with improvement over what we and and more consistency and, you know, not beating yourself and some of the key themes, uh, you know, playing with a tougher mentality uh, and just being more physical. We, we beat Wisconsin. If we have that, we beat Minnesota. If we have that, you know, we, we likely beat Purdue. If we have that, we certainly beat Georgia Southern and, uh, and um, I'm trying to think there's one other on Northwestern. You know, uh, so you start doing the math on this past year and you begin to realize, gee, you know, we were we were close in a lot of those games. And if we had had some of these attributes that that, you know, are being espoused almost in every sentence by Matt Rule, um, if 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 we can begin to see the 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 the, the success of that, uh, we're, we we have a, uh, a schedule next year that would allow us to get to six wins maybe even more. Right. But then the following year, not so much. Right. The following year we, uh, but, but, but that, that schedule might be completely blown up and everything's recalculated because that's the year that USC and UCLA come in. Right. So all the schedules are going to get blown up. Yep. Um, During his press conference, he mentioned, you know, the importance of the line of scrimmage, how he wants to have run a balanced offense of running and passing and that, winning at the line of scrimmage and being able to play in any kind of weather, you know, hot at the beginning of the year, cold at the end of the year, you know, that's what he is looking for, which is of course is music to Nebraska fans ears. Uh, But I find it interesting. uh, The rumor currently is that he's targeting uh, South Carolina's current offensive coordinator, uh, Marcus uh, Satterfield, uh, who worked Mm -hmm. with him at pretty much all of his previous jobs. Um, So he has an obvious connection with Matt rule. Um, but when I was reading the thread about that, you know, South Carolina, you know, they've gotten some more attention because they've had two big upsets here recently, uh, Tennessee and then Clemson. Uh, but uh, earlier in the year, they were really struggling. You know, they weren't doing so hot as a team. And apparently his kind of style is more of a pro football style. You know, he's a real X's and O's guys and likes to come up with complicated passing routes and things like that. Um, and the, the tone I was getting from the South Carolina fans is that in these last two games, they kind of simplified things and said, F it, you know, and they've had some more success. Um, So I'm curious to see if uh, this guy's, you know, that kind of really pass focused philosophy is what this guy is going to bring to Nebraska, uh, or is he going to accommodate his systems to match, you know, a more run focused thing you know, that like Matt was talking about in today's press conference. Right. And, and I, I think there's going to be uh, a merging of that, right? Because when he was at, at Baylor, he used a lot of RPO and, and, you know, he had some reasonably athletic quarterbacks, right? So, uh, and if you look at South Carolina, that was the destination of uh, uh, Spencer Rattler, who was the, Oklahoma quarterback from a, from uh, last year, not this year, um, 
who, uh, you know, started the season as a potential Heisman trophy candidate, but then after two shoddy performances was benched and replaced by uh, Caleb Williams, right? This is before Lincoln Riley went over to USC. So, uh, and then he immediately went in the transfer portal and transferred to South Carolina and saved, saved a year of eligibility. And then he's played there at South Carolina and he had a up and down year this year at South Carolina, but he was the one pulling the trigger, so to speak on this guy's offense. So, you know, obviously a guy with some wheels, with some athleticism is the kind of guy that they, that they want uh, Mm -hmm. based on that offensive system. So there's, there's more running there than you might think. And it depends on what, again, the thing I like about rule was his responses were all based on, we're going to do what we do well. Right. So if, if our team and our capabilities are that, you know, running the football is what we do better than passing it, then we're going to run the football more. If, if, if we can't run it very well, we're going to pass it more. And, and from year to year, that's going to vary depending on uh, the status of our, of our uh, personnel. Right. And I felt like for a, a number of years, we have not had a coach that had that philosophy. We have had coaches that were very, uh, very much uh, married to their system, to, to their scheme. And they had a hard time giving that up. And Matt Rule is not a coordinator. He's not an offensive coordinator. He's not a defensive coordinator. He is a head coach. And that's what he does. And so I, I think there's just going to be a lot more collaboration and a lot more flexibility in what, what that stuff looks like. Yeah, uh, I hope I hope that that's true. And you're right. He did mention that stuff about, you know, uh, we'll do what the players do well. Um, right. Just some of the stuff I was reading about this Marcus guy, you know, gave me flashbacks to, you know, Scott Frost and some of his complex offensive things, right, that he was trying to do, um, especially at the college level. Right. It's different at the pro level. Um, so I hope that uh, there we do see that flexibility like you're talking about. Um, yep. some other uh, names we've heard about assistance, you know, no one's confirmed yet. You know, this is still early days, uh, but Corey Campbell, uh, for strength and conditioning, Evan Cooper, uh, as a recruiting coordinator and defensive backs coach, uh, Terrence Knighton for defensive line and potentially Ed Foley as a special teams coach. Right. And, and if you read, I mean, like, uh, Satterfield, the coordinator we were just talking about, you know, he was initially hired by Rule uh, at Baylor, not necessarily to be the OC, but but to be uh, the recruiting coordinator and quarterbacks coach, for example. So, I mean, uh, we have a number of guys that have in their past been critically involved in recruiting, and that's a, that's a good sign. And they all seem to be really high energy and relatively young. You know, um, um, so I, I I'm liking the makeup of this staff so far from an age and a, uh, uh, uh and that recruiting seems to be a, a key element of a, a number of these hires. We'll see how many, um, you know, ultimately come and when it's all said and done, what it looks like, but it, it looks like he's going for, um, a somewhat young group and one that's, uh, going to be super high energy, uh, that are, you know, articulate and, and uh, so they, they, they can work well in the, in the moms and dads uh, living rooms uh, in the recruiting trail. 
and hopefully are great communicators to to instruct and teach these uh, young men how to be better football players and better better human beings. Right. Well, and speaking about uh, rules age as well, right? With Mike Riley, we went with someone who was uh, near the end of their coaching career, had a lot of experience. Then we went with Scott, who was this younger up and coming coach with not as much uh, head coaching experience. So now I think it's kind of nice. We've settled on a more middle-aged guy like Matt, who's, you know, has a lot of experience, but still could easily coach for 15 years, you know, at Nebraska if things go well, right? Um, so from that perspective, uh, I think it's good and to bring some youth into his assistant pool, right. To bring that level of energy since he is more of a middle-aged guy himself. Um, I think that's good. You know, you sent me a picture of this Corey Campbell guy, the strength and condition coach He's built like a brick shithouse, you know, (laughs) he certainly lives up to his, uh, his coaching responsibility. Right. And, and, and it's going to be very interesting. He's a, he's a younger guy. But he's been with Matt uh, uh, Rule uh, uh, quite a while, and um, he uh, and he's been around. So hopefully he's smart, right? Because if he has, you know, taken in and learned, uh, he has been around NFL strength and conditioning programs. He's been around collegiate ones um, in various stops, you know, with Matt as well as uh, away from Matt. Uh, so he's got quite a variety of, of experience. Um, he's not got the recognitions, you know, uh, Duvall had, had been identified as, you know, um, strength and conditioning coordinator of the year, the year that, uh, uh UCF, you know, went to, uh, the sugar bowl and, uh, uh, you know, and then he came with Scott to Lincoln, uh, but, um, it never translated, right? Like whatever the philosophies were they tended to get our guys too big and slow. We lost fast twitch and flexibility uh, and and it it didn't translate to, you know, function and performance on the field. Um, I'm hopeful that this guy is going to have more of that. Right. Yep. I totally agree. Uh, And there's one final thing about his coaching record. We should of course bring up that he uh, did not have so much success in the NFL at the Carolina Panthers went five and 11 five and 12, then was fired after going one and four in the 2022 season. Uh, However, I'm not going to dwell on that too much because there are numerous examples, including Nick Saban of great college coaches that have gone to the NFL failed and then come back to college and done well. Um, So I'm, I take from that, that rules uh, kind of philosophy uh, is better suited to this younger kind of group of people um, and that kind of energy that you get in college football versus the pro game. Well, and, and I think there's a couple of things that worked against him uh, in, uh, um, in his pro experience there at, at Carolina. One was that he, he, the court, the quarterback that he playing the ride, the ride with uh, got injured and, uh, uh, and, you know, and he had a devastating series of injuries. They had one of the best running backs in the country. Actually, it was uh, um, uh, Luke uh, McCaff- McCaffrey, you know, our quarterback right. from uh, the Scott Frost era. It was his brother, Christian, who was, you know, a superstar All-American at Stanford and then became a, one of the best running backs in the NFL. And then he, he got injured. And so you lost your superstar running back. You lost your quarterback. They had some other injuries, too. 
and it, it just it just got ugly right and so and and the nfl is such a quarterback driven league if you don't have a good quarterback you really don't have much of a chance and, and i don't let me restate that if you don't have a great quarterback you don't have a chance and that's why you know the the, the best teams in the league are the ones that have quarterbacks who are performing at a high level at a really high level mm-hmm. those are the ones that win championships and uh, uh everyone else ends up being around five 500 well he probably or his team uh, might very well be in that direction this year. You know, the team that he put together. Um, and um, it, it, so it'll be interesting to see how Carolina does the remain, remainder of this year with the guy who took his place, one of his staff members who took his place. Mm-hmm. Because um, if he had won just a few more games, he might, might very well have been given a little bit more leash, a little more time. But uh, they just couldn't see the path um and they wanted to dump him i think when he was still close enough to his successful collegiate time frame that he would still be attractive to lots of colleges so that then they they would know that someone like nebraska would come along and pay the majority of uh of his contract and that's exactly what happened so that probably motivated them to fire him the way they did (laughs) so it I don't know that he was necessarily as big a failure as people think in the NFL. And there was one other thing that he did mention, which is, uh, you know, he was in the NFL during COVID and that really limited his ability to build relationships because he couldn't have the one-on-one face-to-face time that he wanted to have and that he normally has with his players. And that hurt him. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, it's an awkward time for anybody to be stepping into a new coaching position at that time. Uh, the other coach that we've discussed uh, potentially staying is Bill Bush, who obviously started as our special teams coordinator, uh, moved into the role of defensive coordinator, um, and uh, the defense saw significant improvements uh, after he took over that role. Uh, and we praised his ability to help us close out that Iowa game when the offense was uh, stuttering. However, I can't see Matt Rule giving up a position as prominent as important as defensive coordinator to somebody that he doesn't really have a relationship with. Uh, so my expectation would be that uh, if Bill Bush were to stay, it would be in some more minor uh, defensive assistant role or as special teams coordinator, because that's what he started as. And he's clearly very good at that. Uh, however, we are hearing rumors about this Ed Foley guy uh, who um, he Matt has worked with before as a special teams coach, potentially coming to Nebraska. But I also hope and have heard gotten some indications that Bill Bush really likes being back in Nebraska. And in fact, would be willing maybe even to take, go fall back to the, the role he had two years ago and be uh, a, a, a defensive analyst, not even an assistant coach, but, but still be involved with the program and be kind of right there in, in case they need something um, and, um, and do that for a year and stay in Lincoln because he's still going to be paid as an assistant coach because of the contract he has. So he could afford to do that, stick around, be an analyst for a year. And then after a year, maybe there is a change in the staff that rule has because somebody wants to leave, they get an opportunity, whatever, a job comes open. And then at that point, after having an experience, a year of working with Bill Bush and seeing how valuable he is and how, how much knowledge he brings and, and all that, 
then maybe Matt Rule's far more inclined to say, hey, hey, I, I want you on my staff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So strategically for Bill, I, I think the idea of laying low for a year if he had to uh, and just, just being an analyst, but yet he's still going to be paid the assistant coaching salary he had this year because of the contract that he had. Right. Right. Um, I think, I think all of those assistants that um, at Nebraska got a three-year contract, that's how they they kept them um, under a lame duck, Scott Frost. So those guys are all going to get paid for another two years. Right. Yeah. No, I I could see that happening. You know, yeah, he was a, a special teams assistant, right. Uh, previously, and that was one of the reasons why Scott promoted him to special teams coordinator uh, because uh, we really needed help on special teams. And he, you know, right. you know, we weren't like amazing on special teams, but we were significantly improved compared to the year before um, in terms of not making critical mistakes and things like that. So I, I would be happy to see Bill Bush stick around as well. Of course, you know, he's a more proven entity, right, than these new guys that Matt Rule or bringing in uh, that I don't know as well, um, but we'll see on that one. Last thing we'll talk about here is uh, some of the shakeups in the national side of things, because there were other prominent programs obviously looking for their own coaches. Um, one big one that affects us directly is Wisconsin. Uh, Luke Fickle, who the current coach of Cincinnati, was announced to be stepping in as the coach for Wisconsin, uh, which was a bit of a surprise to me because um, they had promoted uh, Jim Leonard, uh, their defensive coordinator, to be head coach early in the year, seemingly firing Paul Christ a bit abruptly um, to hold on to him because he was coming up in conversations about the Nebraska job and some of the other jobs that were coming open. Uh, so I think our you and I's uh, thought process at the time was that, okay, they're going to try this guy out, you know, and hopefully uh, just make him the head coach because everyone seems to really uh, – think he's got it going. Uh, though in terms of his record, since he took over, uh, he ended up four and three uh, with the recent upset loss to Minnesota uh, to end off their regular season. Um, so, you know, as you mentioned on the previous podcast, uh, the athletic department at Wisconsin was obviously doing a coaching search and had to have been talking to Luke Fickle for, you know, a while now. This isn't just, oh, Jim Leonard lost this last game. We got to hire somebody else. But I am curious, you know, if more details will come out about what the athletic director's thought process was there. Right. I, I have a feeling that initially his thought process was if uh, if Jim was able to, you know, basically take the reins here and uh, and turn this thing around and really get the team playing, you know, badger football, so to speak, you know, low error. Uh, hard, disciplined, running, power football, and then great defense. I think if he had been able to accomplish that, then it would have been much harder for the athletic director to choose uh, Luke Fickle. But after you watch the press conference for the introduction, the the fact is is that um, those two guys go back. They played against each other in college, right? Uh, um, uh, the athletic director at, at Wisconsin played at Wisconsin and, uh, and Luke was a defensive defensive lineman for Ohio state. So they were, they played across each other, literally, you know, they were competing against each other on the field. So, uh, and they did that for a couple of years together. 
So they knew each other because of that, those interactions, those, those relationships. Right. And then he had just followed Luke's career. So, so this was a guy that he had on his mind. I, he may have never intended to give the job permanently to Jim Leonard. Uh, it might be that he was always thinking fickle, but he just let everybody think it was him so he could do his search very quietly. And it worked because it was a surprise nationally. Everybody was shocked when it happened because they had successfully made everybody believe Jim Leonard was going to be the guy. Now the challenge is, um, does Jim Leonard stay on staff or does he leave? Because right. keep in mind, he was a hot, he, he and still is, a very hot commodity. He, his performance as, as defensive coordinator at Wisconsin has been one of the top you know, defensive coordinator uh, performances in the foot in college football. Uh, he was offered the opportunity to be the defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers in his home state. You know, that would be a dream job for a kid who grew up, went to Wisconsin, played as a walk-on, became a uh, you know an All Big Ten performer. You know, I mean, he is Mister Wisconsin, but you you know darn well he was also a Packers fan. So when the Green Bay Packers of the NFL come calling and saying, hey, we want you to be our defensive coordinator, he turned it down because he believed he was in line to be the next Wisconsin head coach. Right. So I think he is greatly disappointed by this. And it'll be interesting to see over the next few days, much like the Mickey situation that we have, it will be interesting to see if Jim Leonard is able to come to terms with that, accept his situation and then uh, go back to being defensive coordinator at Wisconsin. And the other question would be, um, um, Coach Fickle has an outstanding defensive coordinator that has been with him at Cincinnati for a number of years, and he is the son of the guy who gave him his start. Uh, Jim Tressel uh, was the head coach at Ohio State for many years, a very good coach who won national championship there, and uh, his son is Luke Fickle's defensive coordinator. Right. <laughs> and has been very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, do you do you take your guy or do you do you concede that guy so that you can ask Jim Leonard to be your coordinator? Right. Well, and once again, to your point about, you know, dozens of uh, coaching opportunities probably to open up here soon. Um, oh, I yeah. think uh, Jim Leonard had more success than Mickey, obviously, right? Four and three versus three and six and had more prominence. Uh, before he was promoted to head coach than Mickey did. This was a bit more of a surprise, I think, for the general public and probably for Jim Leonard himself. Uh, and if he could get a defensive coaching job at the Packers, say, you know, because he won't be the Wisconsin head coach anymore, or a head coaching job uh, at a, you know, middle-level school, uh, he may very well go for that and not be able to kind of take that humble pie, as it were, uh, to stay at Wisconsin. Right. Well, and that's the thing. As I, 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 I think that would probably be the best move for him in his career, uh, because um, now Luke, Luke Fickle, though here, here's the here's the uh, rebuttal to that. Luke Fickle's um, um, background, his history. So he he was coaching at um, Ohio State, his alma mater, uh, for Jim Tressel. Jim Tressel got in trouble, got sideways with the NCAA, and got suspended. And Luke Fickle became the interim head coach. Uh, he was the defensive coordinator. He became the interim head coach of Ohio State. Okay. 
they had a, a, a very poor year uh, during his tenure, uh, as most interim coaches have. And uh, uh, but they they then hired Urban Meyer at the end of that season as the new head coach at Ohio State. And Urban asked him to stay on, and he stayed on. He was the defensive coordinator for the first year of Ur- Urban Meyer's time at Ohio State, and then um, and then he got the head coaching job at Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So it worked out really well for him to stick around for a year and take the humble pie after being the head coach and step back down to being just the defensive coordinator, uh, learn under another legendary coach. And then when the next opportunity came for a head coaching job, he took it. Right. Yeah. No, there's some truth to that. So he could, I guess he could preach that story to Jim and say, Hey, this worked out for me in the past. And, and and really the, I think the real key in that is, uh, is whether or not um, um, his existing defensive coordinator at Cincinnati was interested in joining him in Wisconsin or not. Cause if that guy's, wanted to stay in Cincinnati or maybe was offered the head coaching job at Cincinnati. I don't, I don't know if he will or not. Anyway, my point is, is there's some things there, some merry-go-round stuff that could happen uh, for those guys. So all that's will fall and and chips will fall and we'll see how they all play out. And and like for me, I I mean, it's exciting to see, you know, who we're getting or whatever, but there's all this emotional energy spent saying, oh, we should have gotten this guy. Or, and and the, the problem is that the average fan has no idea how much genuine interest a, a particular coach might have in being a part of a staff, regardless of whether they've had uh, ties to that coach previously or not. You don't know how happy or confident they are in, their, in the longevity of the job that they currently have. You know, there's all, all those kinds of things, right? And just somebody who, you know, um, got a, a good situation down in the South and and likes where their family's living, they're not going to move to Grand or to Lincoln, Nebraska, right? So there's all kinds of factors that play into who actually says yes and who who doesn't. But as long as they have a philosophy that matches with what Matt Rule believes is important, and and so they they have a shared vision of how we're going to get this done, and that and and Matt believes they're communicators. Clearly, Matt's a communicator. I think he knows and, and knows how to identify coaches who are going to be equally adept at communicating. So my hope would be that that, that would work. Um, but, uh, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah. Well, I think this gets to uh, the last topic, which will just be evaluating the Matt Rule hire. Um, I mentioned on a previous podcast when those rumors about Matt, you know, being at in Lincoln uh, emerged, I looked into him more and saw the fact that, you know, he, uh, he started off rough at both Baylor and temple, but really turned them around and his successful programs and everything. Um, that made me think, Oh yeah, no, I think this guy, you know, has the past track record that we'd be looking for. Um, so I'm pretty happy with him, you know, being our coach. Um, he was near the top of my list of possibilities, you know, like we've mentioned, you know, an Urban Meyer, you know, despite his uh, personal issues uh, would be great from a coaching perspective, but the likelihood of him ever coming to Nebraska, of all things, uh, was pretty low. Um, obviously, you, uh, your number one guy was always Dave Aranda at Baylor, uh, who's had some struggles this year, um, but how do you compare a potential Aranda hire to what we currently have with Matt rule? You know, I, I, I would say that now like you, 
knowing Matt Rule's history, okay, and and being having had an opportunity to, to listen to him speak and to uh, espouse his philosophy, I, I I really really like the Matt Rule hire. He he is my kind of coach. I think he is a Midwestern, hard driving, um, intense uh, coach, much like I like and 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 want and had when I was playing the sport. Uh, so uh, I have great affinity for all of that. And and yet he's a good Christian man, it, it would appear. Uh, and so he's he's grounded uh, in that. He's got some humility to him. I think the fact that he just is coming off of uh, 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 effectively a failure at the uh, NFL level has provided the kind of humility that he needs to work even harder to, to double up on his efforts and to do so smart smartly right that he's going to have learned from that experience so i love to hire i would say that if i had known all the details of of matt rule um as much as i uh, was aware of dave aranda's history um i probably would say that i would view them as equally desirable and so and dave was always my top guy because i because i knew his history and i was so impressed by his defensive prowess at both wisconsin and LSU. Um, now I look at Matt R- Rule and I realize he's got more of a history and it's as a head coach. And there's a big difference between being a coordinator and a head coach. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, not to so. mention that Aranda's the guy who took over after uh, he left Baylor, you know, so there's a connection right. there. Absolutely. And, and, and Aranda's early success, you know, the championship last year in large part was achieved with uh matt rules players mm-hmm. so so there is a huge tip of the cap uh for the success of that program that has to be given to matt rule uh, uh for last year's big 12 championship team all right yep well this will be the uh third of these coaching rodeos we've gone through while doing this podcast you know we were here for the mike riley switch and the scott frost switch so uh, we're hoping that uh, this one uh, is finally the one that clicks, you know, and I think the, you know, Trev uh, accurately assessed that his the timetable of fans patience, you know, in terms of waiting for the program to turn around uh, is running out um, so that, you know, they needed to spend the big bucks to get the guy they really want and go for broke, you know, and either this is going to work and be a big success or it's not, and the university is going to lose a lot of money, and uh, you know we'll be in a pretty rough spot. <laughs> well, no, we'll we'll take a swing again. We'll take a swing again. Actually, in one of the future. Well, but but, but let, let me let me finish what I was saying though, because my opinion is like if Matt Rule goes as bad as Scott Frost did, right, where we're winning four, three to four games a season. I fully expect that the sellout streak will die in that period, you know, in terms of selling out the stadium, you know, and fans will really be like, well, you know, uh, we spent all this money. We got the big name coach and he failed again. And we've now had more than a decade since the Bo Pelina era where we were at least decent, you know, and we've been crap since then. And even in the Bo Pelina era, we weren't satisfied with what we were getting. Uh, so we'll just be getting further and further removed from the greatness of the Osborne era. Um, so I think that's significant. Oh, I, I, I totally agree. I, the, the, the window of our ability to, to 
to kind of pull out of this dive that we've been in for 20 years is is very very short and with the the changing dynamics of collegiate athletics uh, a lot of these changes frankly do not lend themselves to low population areas and so it, it it's going to make the climb out harder with every passing year that we don't start making the improvements we still have this small window of opportunity in which because of our our good uh, stewardship of our athletic department that has happened in the past and because of our commitment from our fan base we find ourselves in an unusually good position financially even among big 10 teams we're in great shape way better than most and 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 that's on the heels of already spending 165 million dollars for what will be the best you know uh, development center in the country when it opens here in a few months um the top of the line and so and that's trev's focus that's his commitment his commitment is we are going to develop our athletes better than anybody else we are going to be the place that that players and athletes come to be developed and uh um i i love that goal it's a goal uh to get us to a place where we used to be um, because we were the ones who were the first ones to do an awful lot of things that are now standard practice across uh, a lot of sports. And so um, I love Trev Albers leadership. So as long as we can have him and Admiral Carter and uh, Matt rule now, um, I I think we have what it takes to get that ball rolling in the right direction. Are we going to be winning championships anytime soon? I don't know that. You know, that's that's there's so many things that have to happen for that to happen. Right. Right. But to at least I'd say currently the goal is to be able to consistently go to a bowl game and to be in the hunt for the division uh, championship, you know, to be able to be good, right. to be going to the bowl game if, or to the championship game. Right. Even if we don't always get there. Right. As long as we're in the hunt, you know, and we're just a game or two short of it or whatever. You know, that's where we want to be currently to call that a good step forward. Right. Exactly. I agree. All right. It's an exciting day though. I, I just, I was so impressed by today's presentation and I am excited about the future. All right. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, So we'll be talking more about uh, Matt rule and what the coaching situation ends up being with the assistant coaches and all that stuff here in the future. Um, And as well as obviously the national side of things with the conference championship games and the playoff coming up. So there's a lot to look forward to in this last uh, month of the year as we uh, end off the football season in style. (laughs) That's right. All right. Well, enjoy this weekend's uh, conference championship weekend. And uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll talk football uh, with you again uh, early next week. That's right. If you out there enjoy listening to the podcast, you can reach out to us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can also search for us, College Football Throwdown, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can leave us a rating or review there. Uh, we always love hearing from the fans. Uh, and this one's for Matt Rule. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.